Hello and welcome to Touchline. My name's Kasper Els and I'm here with Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice to be back. Uh, some exciting news yet again. Looking forward to our chat with, uh, with regards to the position-specific plays and then obviously our two guests. Um, looking forward to it. Yes. We've got Jeff Harper back in the studio with us tonight. As I said last week, Jeff Harper has been coaching for 16 years. He coached at various levels at various clubs in KZN, um, Toti and Rovers specific. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Gus. Nice to be here again. And we've got Gareth Bredenen in the studio as well. Gareth played for Crusaders Rugby Club at Lock, represented Crusaders. He played for the Sharks 15. He also played for the Hollywoods Bet Invitational side in 2019 as well as 2018. He rep represented the Falcons at under 21 level. And he also represented Northern Free State at under 18 and under 16 level. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you, Mkas. Thank you, everyone on the show. We're talking position specific tonight, the position of lock, number four, number five. Jeff, the, the position of lock, what is the responsibility of a lock in the game of rugby? I think if we had to talk about what's a perfect lock, and we'll perhaps sort of we'll get to that in that part of it. But if we're going to talk about the perfect lock that I'm going to look for when I'm going to be picking a lock or, or two locks, um, you can any specific order really. Strong scrummager. Uh, I should was going to make. They've also got to make sure that the the set piece functions effectively, and I think uh, a an overlooked part of the game. We've got to be secure on, on the kickoffs because I think that's a that's an area we, we tend to overlook and then you you score the points and you feel yourself under pressure again because you're losing a kickoff and uh, losing a ball there which which shouldn't really happen so it's an area that needs to be perhaps concentrated on but those would be, and then then obviously a high work rate so those would be those would be the the, the key areas I'd look for in a lock. Can I ask there that um, from a height perspective? What is your thoughts on a, your average decent size size lock? And when we look at that, obviously we spoke about flanks last week as well. Um, there's a few tall timber guys on the side of the scrum too. But um, as a lock, and you mentioned that, and that's why I'm asking the question from a kickoff point of view, because obviously your taller guys are, are easier to, to catch the high ball. But obviously they need to be agile and good ball handlers to catch that ball. Mark, it's a difficult question to answer with you when you when we talk about club rugby, because if we if we started schools, you've got some you've got some incredibly athletic specimens at schools rugby that are that are big boys, and you think to yourself, Jeepers, that'll be sort of nice to have through coming to the coming to the club system, but we don't we don't see them coming through because they they get sort of snapped up into the professional environment quite quickly. So, sorry, you're a, referring to the tall guys. I'm talking I'm talking about tall guys specifically okay. now. When you, if, if we're referring to height. So we don't often see much of that coming through to the club system now. So you, you often find that you, you, you're retreading, if that's the right word to use, a loose forward into a lock. But if I, do, if I do go, and Gareth and I were chatting about it just the other day, um, if you had to go an out-and-out -out lock, 
then you've got to go into the sort of the two meter territory. Um, then I'm comfortable with that. And uh, but like I said, it's it's they they're becoming more and more scarce as we go along. And then with that, I know the question will probably come. You know, what are we going to do? What's what's the difference between a number four and number five lock? It becomes even more difficult to choose that now, because you you don't you aren't you aren't blessed with many really tall locks in the club system now anymore. You'd get them, but they're few and far between. Will that then mean that a a shorter shorter lock will be overlooked if you talk about provincial from club to provincial level? The short, if, if, you're, if you're on the short side, if you're going to go to provincial, you probably are going to get overlooked. Um, they, if, you, if you're not in a specific height range at lock, because that's what they look for specifically. Um, so if you're not in a specific height range, they're going to see you more as being a, a loose forward than a lock. So okay. if you're going to go from club to provincial, I think you need that, you need that height factor on your side. Having said that, you do, if you look at provincial well, super rugby for argument's sake or international rugby, you do find the odd ones that aren't two meter on the dot, um, slightly slightly shorter, one nine eight for argument's sake, which is still in that ballpark. So um, obviously the, the taller the better, but then you have people like a Peter Steff the toy that is in that mold. I think he's just over two two meters if I'm not mistaken, and he's a world he was a world class lock, probably still is, and he features on the blind side now. So um, you know, I, I suppose from a coaching point of view, Jeff, um, <clears throat> it also depends on who you're playing against. Um, do you want agile guys? Do you want quicker guys? Do you want stronger guys like a Bucky's Buerta, for argument's sake? I think if we can go back to what you just said. I think for the general public out there, and you said a 1.98 is on the short side. A lot of people think 1.98 cheapest, that man is a big unit. So it, it gives you an idea of, of the size of the locks that are playing now. If you're talking 1.98 is on the short side, um, it gives you an idea of how big they are. Um, I think it's, I'd, to get back to what you said, to have, a, to have the, the enforcer type, like a, a Bucky's Burt, if you want to go into... Um, into the, the, the recent past of the Springboks or today and Eben Etzebeth where you've got more the enforcer type, perhaps a, perhaps a Brady Retallick from, from, from New Zealand. It would be nice to have that because it complements nicely with your, with your taller, more athletic lock. But again, I guess it, it's, it comes down to the type of game you want to play. Um, or you do, if you wanted to play an expansive game, it's not going to harm you to have two athletic locks that give you that give you that height factor. But let's not forget a, a, a four lock is also then again in the two meter height range, but is a bit more physical. So Gareth, if I can ask you from a from a player's perspective, um, obviously you stand just over two meters tall. Um, do you see yourself as a four or a five lock? And if I go on what the coach has said, then the four is more the enforcer type of lock where the five is your agile one, if I can call it that. Um, you obviously have played both. What would your preference be and then why would we say that as a current player? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very good question, uh, because obviously there's a lot of players that also have that confusion when uh, being myself as well from experience, uh, where coaches would be like, okay, Gareth, you're going to play number four, number five. But in, in the beginning years of my rugby career, I would think they do the same thing. Um, and then obviously I learned. So um, where I'm at now, obviously I, I, I see myself as a number four lock. Uh, I have played number five before. Um, and I, I 
personally prefer number four because um, just because of my my personal abilities as a, as a lock, uh, I can't do what the number five lock is um, capable of doing, which is more agile. So he's in, in in my in my knowledge, he's more of a utility forward, the number five lock because you don't see a Itzebeth or a Bucky's Berta playing a, a loose forward role at any time in the game, which like you said, now some some locks do do that. You can change them during the game because they that utility forward. Um, but then. Um, in my about three four years ago I, I was obviously a bit on the leaner side um so obviously being a lock it's also difficult when you need to do the primary jobs of a lock because as um, jeff said uh you know you, you your, your your main job is to do the scrumming and that's that you need weight and you need strength behind that and obviously we all know that if you're on the leaner side you do lack a bit of that um and that's why it's also good that teams do have a four and a five so one lock will focus on on being the cement lock the enforcer and the other one will do the the linksman play, which is obviously lighter, is more agile. So then both locks can obviously focus on their different primary jobs. So if I can just ask a question to either one of you, <clears throat> obviously you're judging on what, in, what you guys are saying. Your four lock, I don't want to say it's a stronger one, because obviously playing at a specific level, yeah, both locks yes. need to be, be strong yeah. enough to, to fulfill whatever the role is at that level. Yeah. But if I listen to both of you, one can comfortably then say... In, in layman's terms, that a forelock could possibly be your ball carrier, uh, a guy that enforces the breakdowns at the rucks, trying to clean out where your five-lock, and, and I mustn't actually use this word, but is your more skillful lock in the sense of distribution and linking with the back line and things like that. You also you also gave your 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 four if you want to call him that it it sounds counterintuitive now that you can have a four playing by in a three but your 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 stronger lock, which is generally your floor lock, I would have him playing behind my tight head in the scrum, and if we went back to previous programs, I know you had Robin Swanepoel on, and you were talking the merits and the demerits of which mm. is the stronger side of the scrum to go, and I know there was a conversation surrounding that he perhaps thinks that the loose head needs to be the strongest, and if there was any disagreement, ask ask Durant. Um, but um, the the f yeah, I think I think the question gets answered that you in that respect that your four also needs to be the powerhouse scrumming behind the scrumming behind the three, so you can you can get that right shoulder. No, I think it's important. From, from that's why we always say that if your tight five don't do their work, then your Lucy's can't mm. operate on a, on the loose side of the game, <clears throat> and they need to be more tighter. So it it just makes sense. To say that your primary function from a scrum perspective is to obviously give support to your one, two, and three in front of you primarily before you do anything else. It's just it's just ensuring that set piece operates effectively. Mm -hmm. Because you remember often in the lineups it's the lock that's calling the making the calls. It's the lock that's receiving the ball in the kickoff or, or, or judging what the, the flight of the ball and, and taking it out of there from there. So the, the set piece is where the locks become vital to in, in, in ensuring that there's there's, if, there's uh, stability, if that's the right way to use at your set piece. If you're talking about the four and five, the difference between the four and five, and you say that the one is more agile and, and links up better with your, with your back line, isn't the modern-day lock, if you talk about a Eben Etzebet and a, a Lote Jager and a... Um, Erkes Neyman. Erkes Neyman. Um, all those guys playing four or five, all of them carry the ball basically the same. They they all basically enforces, maybe the one more than the other one, but but they all enforces and, and, and they all seem to be linking up to the to the backs quite quite efficiently. 
No, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I tend to agree with you. I mean, if you, if you look at the ultimate team, which is probably New Zealand, um, luckily they're not the world champions, though, but if you look at New Zealand, all their players from 1 to 15 are ball players. Yes. Whereas your traditional tough sides like South Africa have set pieces where certain players perform certain functions. Now, if you look at Eben Etzebet, he is a ball carrier of note, but you won't see him on the outsides of the field, let's say past your 13 centre in the tram lines or whatever. He'll be closer to the breakdown. Yeah. Where Ergie Sneeman, for argument's sake, and is that I think he scored a good try in, in the World Cup mm. following up on the blind side, and, and I think it was uh, one of the wingers, if I'm not mistaken, threw the ball in, he picked it up and he dived yeah, and he dove over. So, um, you know, they, they are your more... Agile locks, um, he's obviously, I mean, he's two point something meters tall yes. himself. So um, if you put him on a scale, he's probably 120 kgs. Um, but he's your more mobile, where even Etzebet wouldn't get there because he is your primary ball carrier closer. Although Ergius Neymar also carries the ball, they all do. Lode Jager, um, they all carry the ball. But I think from a coach's perspective, and Jeff will come in here as a coach, to say, depending on who you're playing against, um, you would probably need a lock like an Evan Etzebet closer to the breakdowns to take the ball off nine or run off the shoulder of ten, for argument's sake, to heat it up, where Eric Sneeman could possibly take the next phase out wide. Okay. Sorry, Jeff. Would it then be safe to say that the modern-day lock is molded in a, in a type of a Frick de Prier mold? Where you can carry, you've got the ball skills, you've got the playing skills, you can you can jump, you can basically do anything. You know, I think I think we've been we've been talking and the, and the discussion is quite is quite interesting. Um, we've got to remember that what we're talking about now is 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 either provincial international rugby where you've got you've got the luxury of choice, mm-hmm. you've got you've got those players to choose from. So if we can if we can narrow it down now to to club rugby, which yes. which we can talk about, we don't often have that luxury of choice. Um, I think so when it comes to choosing locks, be it, be it the more physical lock, be it the more agile lock at international level or provincial, as I've said, we have that luxury of choice. Club rugby, we don't. I think what then becomes important between your four and five, and it, it's, it's just as important at the, at the higher level, is, is I think the, the right word to use is complementary. Um, they've, both, they've both got to complement each other in the, in the way that they play the game. You can't have one being just purely, a particular club level, you can't have one just being purely your, your bruiser, your ball carrier, and that's what he's, that's his job. But it's, I, I, wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to pigeonhole the man and stick him and say, well, that's your job, that's all you've got to do. He then has to, to complement the other lock that he's playing with. If I have a luxury of choice... Um, I know it's not a. I know it's not a visual show where I can have a have a Gareth as an example with a with a taller, leaner lock. Then perhaps the roles will be different. Okay. But at the moment, in a in a club environment um, we were in, we often find that you've got two locks in a, and it's mostly the case. You've got two locks in a in a in a more agile, um, and we, we keep on referring back to it, a Victor Matfield role or a or a Sam Whitelock type lock. Um, you often find that in, in club rugby, rather than having the big, thick, heavy set lock that's going to be the carrier, the enforcer, whatever you want to call it. So when you have those, you have to make sure that those two players are complementary. So so would you then say, and I, and I touched on it earlier, where I used an example of depending on who you play against. So let's go club rugby. Um, 
let's say you play against a team that play quick rugby. So at the breakdowns, I like to distribute the ball quickly. So whoever takes it out, takes it up, um, clean it out, and the nine plays quickly. So whoever folds can get a quicker ball. Would you then, if need be, compromise in height for a lock to get a more mobile person in? Because obviously... From a from a lineout perspective, there are various options that one can use. You can go shorter lineouts. You can go full lineouts. You can get a shorter guy um, to jump, let's say at number two, to with two big guys lifting him to get him up quicker, and so on and so forth, without going into detail. But would you then say when you play a team that is quite expansive and they quick at the breakdowns, that you would then compromise on height and get someone maybe two locks so what one can do then for argument's sake is to play let's say three three loose forwards obviously one is a lock so that you can try and nullify whatever opposition is trying to throw at you I think the immediate answer to that would be yes I would but remembering again that you've also got to have an ace somewhere up the sleeve as far as our own attack goes so then you maybe want to have that you maybe want to have that, that the stronger ball carrier to force them to defend narrow. Um, so, but but the immediate answer to if I want to if we want to if we ourselves want to play an expansive game, that's what I want to do. To counter an expansive game, it's it's it, it, it seems the obvious answer to have players that can get around the park. But you also want to you also want to just try and keep their defenses. Can I ask the other question then? The flip side to that is if you have a slower pack possibly but a strong pack, would you then use a guy like Gareth, um, who is obviously a traditional lock, would you then put him at seven to still have your tall timber, to still carry, but the breakdowns are important now where your loose forwards, yes, they might, they might get there quick enough maybe to put a hand on the ball, but with a new rule now where your, your guys trying to fetch need to physically lift the ball off the ground, not hands-on anymore like, like last year, um, would you then maybe go that route as well? To, to uh, as I said earlier, Peter Steff the toy is a prime example. Obviously, he's a ball carrier and he's a distributor and everything. So maybe there's a few and far of them in the world that you can do use like that. I think Mark, it just depends on the, on the coach of the day. The way the way I like to coach it, I'm not going to move a player around too much because I prefer to have defined roles. So I'd have that player playing a specific position and then I'd work around it. Um, we try and we will try and counter whatever height and opposition may have in the lineout, um, because they, I guess there are ways to counter that. Um, so to me, I prefer I prefer clearly defined roles rather than to move a player from a lock to a loose forward position, because the very next week you may play against different opposition again. Now you've got to shift him back from loose forward to lock, and then now it becomes different running lines. It becomes it becomes a whole it becomes it becomes a different a different animal when you when you're shifting players around and, and roles aren't clearly defined. No, no, I agree. And Gareth, you can maybe come in here where, if that was you as a player, um, yeah, obviously no. there's stats that, that one looks at week in and week out and yeah. all of a sudden you don't perform to the level that you need to because obviously your running lines are different yeah. and your role is different. I've, I've, I've also had a, I've, I've looked at it a personal view at that. Um, uh, so obviously your, your first thought would be to counteract the team you're playing against. Um, but so there I'll agree with, with Coach Jeff is... Um, and I said a lot to, to players I've played with. Um, we are there to do a job. So, for example, when, when it comes to lineouts, um, I tell people it's, it's not necessarily how fast or how slow you, 
execute your, your call. You are there to do a job. You have to do better than your opponents. Irrespective if they're taller than you, bigger than you, faster than you, doesn't matter what the case is. So if you're playing against a, in my position, I'm, I'm you know, um, a normal lock is big in size and everything. If I'm playing against a foster lock forward, I need to make sure that I get into his head so that he stays in my corner of the park. And that's that's what I have to do. And obviously, in, in the opponent's view, they must try and get me out of my comfort zone. And that's that's all about rugby. Can I just ask a question? Sorry, Jeff. I'm I'm going back to last Sorry. week, where and I'm going to forget about this. I, it's a it's a it's a topic that I that we discussed last week, and a, and a question that I asked um, from a coach's perspective and from a hooker's perspective with regards to line-out calls, mm. right? So last week, and, and it's good that you're in the studio today so we can have a chat about this. So last week I asked a question to both coach and hooker. And the question was around throwing into the line-out and connecting with your jumper. Mm-hmm. So depends on who you speak to. Some people say it's the hooker's responsibility to find the jumpers, and some might argue to say it's the jumper make sure he gets his hand on the ball. Mm. How do you see it as a jumping lock? Uh, as, a, as a jumping lock, um, again, as, like um, Coach Jeff said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> of topics with line-outs. But as you asked, in my opinion, it, it, it actually all comes from the support. Um, because the, the hookers, uh, they, again, at this level of rugby, whether it's club rugby or not, well, I play in Premier Division. So I expect my hookers to know that they have different locks, different heights. So they should generally have that that area where the where there's the hands will be zonal areas. So I can jump as high as I want to. The hooker can throw as high or as accurate as he wants to. It's actually all about the lift, because the hooker can throw two, three clean straight balls, but the support is on making it. Then obviously people think it's either the lock not getting the ball, or the hooker's not reaching the lock. So in my opinion, the the primary problem or the primary route to that connection would be the lifters. I think there's I think there's also got to be. There's got to be action and reaction because action on the ground is going to beat, is going to beat reaction. Yeah. So it, it becomes important that the, that the locks and the props are communicating. But get to get back to hookers, if the if the if the if the lock is getting up there and the hook is hitting him in the chest, and an opposition is stealing the ball, that's when I pull what little hair I have out. Yeah, yeah, that is a problem. Um, yeah. That that becomes a problem, and and unfortunately it does happen. Um, so so to me. I agree with everything that Gareth says, but at, at line-out time, with locks and props, it's going to be it's going to be being action, and then from hookers definitely it, it is the hookers' responsibility to find the jumper. Okay, so is it safe to say then that, from what Gareth now said, that it's basically everybody's responsibility. It's the hooker's responsibility to make sure that the ball is where it's supposed to be. It's the jumper's responsibility to make sure that his hands are are on the ball. And it's also then the props or the lifter's responsibility to make sure that he actually gets there. Okay, but now in your opinion, Jeff, if you're going to do the, the game analysis, who are you going to put that tick against if you lose the ball in the lineouts constantly? It's, it's, it's really, truly is looking at the game. Because if, if that ball is thrown in correctly and the lock is trying to snatch it out of one hand or he's knocking or he's in or catching you can't point a finger at the hooker the hooker's doing everything expected of him the lifters are doing what's expected of them the lockers are still catching the ball for whatever reason he's having an off night you can't blame the hooker for that okay. but if the lock is getting up there and his height is perfect and he's and he's and he's he's playing double top and but the but the hook is hitting him in the chest then that's the hooker's fault so there's no there's no one specific box i'm going to tick you've got to look at you've got to look at each component individually 
and to see on its where, own merit. On its own merit, to okay. see to see where the, the the blame, if you will, lies. Okay. So once again, it comes back to it's a collective responsibility of everybody involved to get the ball. Well, I think that's the importance of of having stats and having someone to record your game where you can actually, whether it's a Monday or a Tuesday. Have a, have a team session where you go through certain things because obviously we all played the game and um, when you're on the park you feel you're doing the right thing until you physically see what you're doing or the stats come out so this is also this is also a question um, that is asked often and, and the All Blacks made the same mistake when we beat them I think it was last year year before that in New Zealand where they had a penalty in front of the poles to win the game and they opted to go for the touchline and I mean, obviously, if you if you take a shot at poles, it's a 50-50. When you go for the line-out, there's many factors that come to play there. And, it, and it's, you either need to be very confident, and more often than not, it works, but sometimes it doesn't. This cost, and I mean, if you ask their coach afterwards, he said they should have gone for the shot. And New Zealand lost that game because of that specific decision. Um, because obviously, as we were saying now, your hooker needs to firstly get the right call. With all the talking going on, nowadays they get a prop to come and tell the hooker what, what, whatever the call is um, for him to hit wherever he has to hit. But then he has to get the height right, whether it's in the front, middle ball or back ball. He, obviously there's different various speeds that, that the ball goes in, whether it's in straight or whether it's looped or whatever the case may be. Then you've got your, your, your lifters and you've got your jumper. That's one thing. Then this guy still needs to try and catch the ball with the opposition trying to get the ball away from him. When you land, you need to bring the ball in. Then you still need to present it. Everyone tries to form the ruck so that they want to try and push over now. So there's so many factors in that, whereas a, a, a shot at goal is a 50-50. So I suppose if you want to go that route, your shot at goal is your safest option. Yes. But then obviously the, the, there's the pressure, there's the time of the game that there is, there's how much time is left, how far are you behind. Um, and that's a topic for, a, for another session that we'll have yes. going forward. Now, now I want to ask, we've, we've spoken about some of the physical attributes of, of a lock, being tall, being strong, being agile. What would you say, what is the, the ultimate number four and the ultimate number five, physical attributes? If I, if so, so to try and answer that question as best I can, are you saying, yeah, yeah is a pool of players, or you can make wave a magic wand and you're going to create a four, you're going to create a five. What yes. do you want? What do you want? So I, yes. I, there, there's no limitations on to what I've got. No limitations to what okay. you've got. What is the perfect human specimen for a number four and a number five? Having said that, that is someone that, that you might have seen playing that will fit that I, role. I think, I think in, the, in the ideal world, I think let's, if, we, if we deal with the givens, I think one of the givens is going to be conditioning. And fitness, those, those, they, one, one is the same as the other in, in, in a lot of respects. But I think that's a given. Okay, in an ideal world, I'm going to have, if I have this luxury of choice, I'm going to have that enforcer type lock, and I'm that is going to get around the park and he's going to do that specific job for me without letting the rest of the team not not suffer. That's the wrong word to use, but but perhaps slow work, it down anyway. Work way. harder. Work, work harder. That's probably the right way to put it, Mark. And then that nice, tall, athletic clock that makes the intelligent calls of the lineouts that 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 will that can perhaps get to a breakdown a little bit quicker, um, be a bit more agile around the park. Those those are going to be my that's that's going to be my utopia if that's the right way to use when it comes to picking a lock. We don't have those luxuries, unfortunately. 
but yes. that's the way I would go. So, so just before we go to Gareth, can I ask this question then? If we've got, in the ideal word, a proper four and a proper five lock, right? Would you, obviously, it doesn't mean that the five lock won't carry. You'll you'll still have an opportunity to carry, but your four lock will carry more often than him, if one can put it that way. Do you then do you then go to say, let's say it's Gareth now playing at four, he will carry, let's say every third or fourth breakdown, or how would you Mark, do it? at the at the interval, really. So so we're going to look at we're going to look at key performance areas during the game. So if I'm going to break a game game down afterwards, and I'm going to speak to players, be it individually or collectively, the locks are going to have be a four or a be a five. Okay, they, they, they are going to need to hit a KPI of between 35 and 45 collisions a, 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 a game. That's what they're going to need. Whether you're four or whether you're five. So, you're all, so in other words, your, their average stats would be the same. Your average Just stats their need, functions your, are your, different. Your, exactly right. Your, your average stat needs to be the same, but your functions may differ on the field. But your stat needs to remain the same. And I think, I think to, to come back to a previous uh, a, a question or, or, or a comment that was made would I for the sake of the argument take Gareth as a lock put him at the flank to perhaps sacrifice in one area or to bolster in another you must remember Mark that, that shifting a player now you've taken Gareth from that environment of him being used to 35 to 45 collisions a game now I'm going to stick him in a loose forward role it becomes a different world altogether okay now now he's got to up his work rate between 45 and 55 otherwise he himself gets penalised and it's not always that easy to 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 find yourself in that position where you are now having to to raise your game even more in a different position, and next week go back. That's why I want to find roles in a game, and we play from there. But both locks on the field, I am looking for the same the same key performance indicators that I'm looking for. Roles may be slightly different, but the end result must be the same. Yeah, um, if, yeah. If I can touch on that as well, it's, it goes back down to the same principle is is as, as rugby players. Um, all of us are there for our specific position, um, and it's, it's it's a blessing if if we have players that um, can do more than what they're required to do on the field in their position. It's always a blessing. But as I said, as a player, if if something goes wrong in a game, whether it's a knock on or or, or, or a try against our team, or in general the team loses, uh, me as a lock, I at least want to know for myself. Listen, I've done my primary job. I've done it while the coach expected me to do one, two, three on the field. I've done that and more. So I think I think that's what we have to look at as well. Players, players, if they if they are scrum off or a fly off or a prop or a wing or a fullback, uh, a fullback is expected to make the last line of defence tackle. You, you you cannot blame someone else for missing his tackle because that happens in the game. Yeah, the guy broke through because we didn't make the pass correct. That's not that's not how it should be done. Your job is still to the coach will deal with the person that made the the mishap for the guy coming through, but your primary job is to stop the last line of defence, and that's what that's what players also need to understand. Perfect. We've we've spoken about open play and general play and lineouts quite a bit. What is what is the lock's responsibility in a scrum? Primary responsibility in a scrum. Oh, I like this question. I've been yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> people are going to say the lock's responsibility in the scrum is to push, but 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 it's it's everybody's responsibility in that scrum to be to to work their their, their backside off in that scrum. Mm. There's a, there's a little term I like to use. It's called, and you can Google it if you like, it's called social loafing. Um, and and the, the easiest way to describe it is if, if, if Gareth and I have got a rope and we are going to have a tug of war against each other, okay, he is going to give 100% of his effort to beat me if it's one-on-one because he wants to beat me. 
So he's going to give 100% of his effort. But now, I stick you in behind Gareth and I stick Mark behind me. Okay? I start thinking, hey, you know what? Mark is probably going to help me out a little bit here, so I'm just going to maybe take a little bit of a break. And he may think the same thing with you. So now you haven't got everybody putting 100% effort. By the time you've put eight this side and eight that side, everybody's thinking, ah, you know what? If this, if, if this, if this guy is going to be putting 100% washer, so I'm not going to. Thinking he's going to be doing it, yeah. but he's not. But if the team I'm on now decides we're all going to give 100% in this, we are going to drag them on that rope. Would you, would you say, would you say then, um, maybe, maybe the World Cup final isn't a good example because it happened more often than not, but if you have two equally strength sides playing against each other, let's say the All Blacks and, and the Rocks, and it's a tussle and everything is you know, going well. What that is, are you referring to that once where, let's say, yeah. South Africa pushes the All Blacks back? Yeah. Or do you, know, do you know what? Do you not win you scrums attitude? Yeah, that wins you scrums. If you if you have attitude in every single game, and every single scrum. You're, you are setting yourself for a good platform to win every scrum. Uh, fair enough. You've got to have attitude. What I'm asking is, is obviously, if you look at the World Cup final, yeah. more often than not, South Africa pushed England back. Mm. But that doesn't often happen game in and game out. So you will get the, fi- the odd one. Let's say we play the, the, the All Blacks now. The whole game, their ball is their ball, our ball is our ball. The scrums hardly move. The one scrum, whichever side it is now, beats the other one. Would that be a... Uh, uh, a lack of discipline where they all work together or is it the, what would you say that the reason for that would be? Could be lack of focus. Yeah. Could be could be losing it on the hit. It could be another thing, a number of things. So you've, you've, your focus has got to be there all the time at scrum time. Your attitude has to be there all the time at scrum time. And it's got to be there the whole game. The, the, the difficulty of scrumming when, you, when you're on the back foot is that you battle to recover so your first, imp- your first impressions, I say to the players, at scrum time, your first impressions are most important. Because if you hit a scrum hard and you put them under pressure immediately, their second scrum, when they come to the scrum, they, they're almost doubting themselves at that scrum time. And then you just keep on raising the attitude. And you do it again the second time. By the time the third scrum comes along, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but it's a mental thing. And that team now starts thinking, oh, they don't particularly want a scrum. Now they start cursing the back line when they're knocking the ball on because they don't particularly want a scrum. Mm. This, the scrum that is dominant now starts high-fiving each other. Now the energy picks up. But you see that often. You even see the back line running into high-five the forwards. Yes. So well done in that. So obviously it's appreciated. Obviously the back line won't go in and then try and scrum. But, I mean, it's a, it's a different kettle of fish when you're physically doing the scrumming. And this, we spoke about it in the first week when we spoke about the props and that, yes. your different techniques. So obviously the technique varies from one to eight, but collectively... It's one specific technique if you had to put all eight of them together to enforce that your, pressure your, on the opposition. Your technique, depending on where you are in the scrum, be it a, be it a one, be it a three, be it a mm. six, be it a seven, be it eight, your techniques differ. Yes. The, 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 the couple of givens, if you're gonna, it's, it's mechanics, that doesn't change. Mechanics remain the same throughout the scrum. Attitude and focus. Gareth, you mentioned that it's a, it's a good question. The player specific. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, as as a lock, um, uh, we're talking obviously how basically on the scrums, um, because that is I also believe that's your primary job as a lock. So how I look at it is everyone must do their job, everyone must push. But if if for some odd reason uh, your opponent's props are pushing your props, your job is to support your props. 
it is unfortunately what it is you have to do the job and support them also being you have to push forward so if your props as, as coach jeff said if your props are getting front football in the scrum your job again you must not lose focus because you think my prop is winning the scrum you must still give in your 100 percent so you can be the extra push to push over and that's why coach jeff said it's a, it's a it's a whole team movement that goes if one is lacking the whole scrum will, will collapse and that's why that's why sometimes it does get frustrating because Players will, players will, if they lose the, the scrum, and then the guys will like, no, it's the lock's not scrumming. And as a lock, you think, okay, but the scrum doesn't consist only of a lock. And that's what generally happens in, 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 in a scrum. So would you, would you say, listening to both of you, obviously timing is, a, is, is one of your key focus areas. I know attitude and all of that, but like with the line-outs, your hookers and your jumpers <coughs> and all of that, if your timing isn't in sync, doesn't matter how much attitude you have, how much, how strong you are, whatever, you'll never get it right. Mark, your timing can be spot on too. If your mechanics aren't there, that can also that can also go haywire. So if your if your setup at the scrum isn't correct, so I know a lot of people, I'm not saying a lot, but there may be some people out there listening may not understand the mechanics sometimes in a scrum where, for the sake of the one you do, you're going to go through from you're going to go from from one to eight, a small thing like on the on the on the bind, your femurs need to be at the 12 o'clock position. In other words, from 12 o'clock down to the center of that clock. On the hit, you're going. You're trying to move as quickly on you to get your femurs to the one to the one o'clock position. So now, now you're working in sync and, and your mechanics are right. If your mechanics are right, your timing is right. Your time, if your timing is right, but mechanics is wrong, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Other way around, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Everything has to, it, everything has to be in sync. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the, the scrums are th- of, of the of the old days of used to what some of the 1970s and 1980s rugby when 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 Cus used to play. Um, <laughs> um, it was just whoever got there first, and you yeah. smash into the scrum yeah. and you play. Those those days are gone, and yeah. you you would have thought that the scrum would have been depowered by crouch by and set. Um, it's brought mechanics and mechanics and timing, which you have to yeah, work I in think, synchronicity into it. I think it's a lot more technical nowadays than those it's days as well. You know, so the lineouts and everything. because yeah, even even as a lock, um, I've done it a couple of times as, and I were taught as from players, everything could be perfect from the outside viewpoint as a scrum, but if your lock is not comfortable or if something is not right in the scrum, it's advised the lock to pull out, because number one, obviously, he can injure himself. And obviously the mechanics are not right for your scrum, for his team, and then they can lose the ball. So if you feel you, you bind it on the prop wrong or you're a bit low or too high, or even if the flank is binded wrong on your side, you need to pull up and say, wait, guys, literally set, because unfortunately the mechanics need to work. You can have a, you can have a situation with a, with a hooker on the, on the bind. His right foot could be up. So now that, now that tight head prop thinks that his, that his inside foot has got room, so he moves his foot, inside foot across. Now on the hit... The hooker brings his foot back. The tight head prop doesn't have space for his feet, so he moves his foot. And the mechanics is, is gone. Now your lock gets pushed backwards. Now. So it's a bit more involved than uh, than we all thought. I always, I always, I always have this have this expression, and I'm, I'm assuming a lot of players will will disagree because we all think our position in the team is, is better than the other one. <laughs> but I always look at it this way: so a lock, a lock is like a shoelace. So you've got, you got the foundation, which is the props, which is the shoe itself. And you've got the flanks and the apron and the scrum of which are the hands that tie the laces. But without the laces, the shoes won't be able to function. 
It's one way of putting it. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, never thought of it that way. <laughs> and generally, the locks are the better looking accent. No, 100%. Except when they retire. Except when they retire. If you look at in studio currently, Gareth doesn't look too bad, but Jeff. <laughs> I can agree with you and Robin Swanepoel because I played at both. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine with both of those. <laughs> your best butter on both sides. Gareth, so uh, just look what you're going to look like when you retire. <laughs> These qualifiers no, do wonders. <laughs> At least uh, Jay doesn't have cauliflower yes as well. So um, we, we're on the same path. We're on the same path. No, that's it for me. Um, it <laughs> keep was, quiet now. It's, yeah, no, I don't want to keep quiet. So, I, I know you're going to try and put me in a corner again, but I'll, I'll ride the storm. <laughs> um, no, I just want to ask the, the last question. Is there, is there anything that you feel that we haven't covered with the position of lock? Anything else that you can maybe add to this? Gareth, I'll start with you. I I feel I feel that um as, as I said now with the whole um shoelace and and the scrum and stuff I feel sometimes and and coach forward coaches especially and I think against you coach Morgan you're a backline coach you with the you with the sissy boys um we I feel I feel we bring in all the points <laughs> I feel I feel that locks are, are generally sometimes unappreciated on the field um again I speak of my own experiences as well um we do a lot the coach uh, the coach expects us a lot as coach Jeff also said. Uh, we myself I call line outs. Um, I have to, I have to, we have to set up the pods and all the stuff. And then when something goes wrong, for some other reason which is not part of the lock setup, the locks are always the ones to to get blamed first. For example, the scrum collapsing, or again the hooker not finding the lock, or the locks are making the calls right. But at the end of the day, um, it's no, it's it, there's so much pressure on a lock in a game. For example, now going away from fours now, a flower, a flower is a lot of pressure on him in a game, whether he, he's teammates make mistakes the, the the first person people generally point out is the flower so i just feel from my perspective locks should generally be a, be a bit more appreciated on the field i don't think the flowers are going to appreciate the fact that you compare a lock to a flower no, 100 <laughs> but the <laughs> <laughs> from your side yeah i think i'd like to think we've covered everything um i know it'll happen i'll get in the car on the way home and i'll think to myself hey why didn't i remember <laughs> to say that but uh, that happens when when father time creeps up on you it does but yeah, I think we've we've pretty much touched on everything we we perhaps needed to. So I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Jeff, if I can just ask a last question, um, I'd like to go back to a guy like Peter Steph the Toy. Um, I would I would think that he would be in your mould as a nearly a perfect lock type of thing, and I and I say that um, you know he's he's moved now to flank. What would you think was the reason behind this all to move? Because obviously he was a very, very good lock and he's now probably one of the world's best seven flanks. Um, what would you think? Because obviously you could, he's still being used as a, as a lock every now and again. So, so to understand you correctly, are you wanting to know why, why the shift from, from, from lock to flank? Yeah, because obviously he's still a line-out jumper yeah. um, and so forth. I think, so I think, Mark, and this is just, this is just an opinion that I have. Um, I think if you look at the form of the player at the time when the, when the shift was made, you have quality locks that would probably be, would be out-and-out locks, if you want to put it that way. And, and I think, I think a, a, a place in the side had to be found for Peter Steph Detroit. And... I'm not saying it was a gamble to move him to the side of the scrum. I don't think so at all. He's very, very capable of playing there. But I think that paid dividends on its own 
and and I think the I think the the, the selectors would do well to leave him there. I think I think he's found his position on the side of the scrum. I think you know perhaps in time to come he may move back to become a specialist lock. He can help you out in that position, but I think let's let's leave him. It's let's leave him on the side of the scrum. No, I agree with you. I think when he when he probably becomes older and slower then um, his primary position would be at lock again because I think he's, he's one of the few, like Victor Matfield, that can play at international level till the age of 37, 38. Yep. So um, obviously to look after him as well and not being as mobile is the later stage to move him back. But it just brings, it just brings in that extra, that extra side of it where you've got a mobile person like him that can play as a lock. So if you play against a mobile team, it won't shoot you in the foot to now move him to lock to bring in an extra loose forward because he'll cover that position. I think just just looking at the little bit I've been seeing of what the British and Irish Lions may may bring to the table, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the if if Gatland takes a similar gamble if that's the right word to use and shifts Mario Toji to the size of the scrum. Correct, because he's played there for yeah. Saracens. Before. So I think it'll be an interesting choice if he, because he's got quality locks. You can take Mario Toji, who's a, who was outstanding at the World Cup. He really was, and you can shift him to the side of the scrum, and he will give you a different dimension. And you might find that he ends up staying there. Correct, agreed. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. Then, some sad news again this week, with the passing of Noel Clausens. Noel was born in 1954 and unfortunately passed away this week at the age of 66. Noel played for Boerland and the SA Rugby Union at Lock. Our condolences to Noel's family and friends and may he rest in peace. Then with the naming of the Australian side this week as well. Some surprises there, bringing in 16 new caps and 13 caps that has played fewer than 10 tests. One of them being Angus Bell, the son of the prop Mark Bell, at age 19, included in the side. Mark, your thoughts? No, I think it's, it's, it's always interesting and, and changes like this you'll normally find after a World Cup. Because majority of players either go on retirement or they go and play for different clubs all over the world. Um, they've got a new new coach. Obviously, their vision has, has changed slightly. This year, they opened it up for Rini to actually select someone from outside of the country. He opted against that. Um, and more so because of the COVID-19 that, that's hit us, unfortunately, and the restrictions to players moving in and out throughout the competition. So he's decided to, to keep it local. Um, but the, the change in, in test matches that the players have played and the new kids coming through, if I can call them that, because they're all very young, um, I think that's a change. And you'll see it in South African rugby. You saw it with New Zealand naming their side. And the coaches... People look at coaches to think, okay, we just prepare for the day or for the next week. And it's not like that at all. Um, I touched on this a few weeks ago where we said, I look at myself, my planning 
has already started, not for next year, but the year after that already. Yes. And that's, that's where we want to go. We've got a four or five-year plan. So obviously the international coaches are now already planning for the World Cup um, and to get these guys through the system to ensure that they, that they fire at the optimal level is important for them. And the time is now to, to see who can actually operate at that level, who has the capacity to do what they want them to do. So I think it's exciting. It's exciting for World Rugby to see all these youngsters coming through. And I mean, I'm not sure if all our listeners have, have watched all the games, but there is some exciting youngsters around the world that have come to they the fore. And, yeah. and let me tell you, from a South African point of view, there's a few of our youngsters that are that are going to showcase themselves as well. So it, it all sets it up quite quite nicely for the championship come end of the year. Jeff, if I can ask you now, um, New Zealand has included seven new new caps in their squad, and now Australia has included sixteen new caps. Do you think they're going to use this the um, rugby championship? As a as a test ground to look at these players, I see some of the the New Zealand players. I just have a look at the news now today. That some of the New Zealand players are saying, "Well, now that the rugby championship is going to be in Australia, that they're going to make themselves unavailable for this." From a because then if they went to New Zealand, have to come back to Australia, then they got to quarantine themselves for two weeks, and so there's all those sort of those sort of things attached to it. Um, seven new caps. It's a lot, um, assuming they're all going to now decide they are going to play. 16 new caps. It's um, Obviously, they're starting a whole new era of, of, of Australian rugby. And I've always said, if, you, if you're old enough, you're good enough. Um, let's hope that these youngsters do repay their, 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 their coaches' faith in them um, for their selection. Like Mark said, I think with the youngsters, it'll, it'll create an exciting brand of rugby. But let's not forget that a test match is a different cauldron altogether to, to Super Rugby. Um, we're going to be playing on, on, on fields familiar, not too different in Aussie to what it is here, but a test match is a different animal. It's not the, it's not the same as Super Rugby. It's yes. a step up in intensity. It's a, a step up in just about every, every aspect. And it'll be nice to see how these, how these youngsters deal with it. So just to touch on, on New Zealand, um, Jeff mentioned now that a few of their players might opt um, to not partake in the in the championship. The reason for that is, um, without naming names now, there's there's one or two players whose wives are expecting over the Christmas period, and then New Zealand Rugby have given the players the blessing to opt out for the simple reason that although the tournament finishes before Christmas. When they go back to New Zealand, they have mm -hmm. a mandatory 14-day yes. isolation period, which obviously falls, I think it's the 20, mm. it will end on the 27th yeah. of December. Yeah. Hence the fact. But they, I think they, they mentioned three players specifically, um, of which two of them are expecting, and one has just had a baby. The one's yes. wife just had a baby, so that is that. Um, just to come back to, new, to, the, to the Australian uh, setup. Um, it's a pity that um, we had our very own Brainard Stander that was part of the initial Wallaby squad. Yes. Um, Brainard Stander was one of three 
Western Force players that were part of the Australian Conference uh, for them to obviously have a final selection for the championship. And not one of the three players from the Force actually made it. But for South Africa, uh, a guy like Brainard Stander, who played for the Sharks, obviously went over to, to yes. Australia a few years ago. And that, yet again, shows the caliber of players that we have going abroad. I mean, we've got players playing for other international sites. So well done to Brainard Steiner. Yes. Yeah, it was a pity. And there was a couple of people that said that they couldn't believe that he's excluded. Um, his form was just phenomenal. Well, it is phenomenal. And he is excluded. Then it was confirmed now that the Castle Lager Rugby Championships 2020 will be held in Australia, obviously. Um, due to the, the COVID regulations that's not as strict in Australia as it is in, in New Zealand. And it will give the teams a lot more time to, to train, to practice before it starts, rather than in, in New Zealand. And then it will be held from the 7th of November to the 12th of December. Your thoughts? Well, the difference, the difference, and, and the reason why it was actually moved to Australia, it was approved initially for New Zealand. Yes, it was. Um, but because of the regulations, there are different regulations in New Zealand compared yes, to Australia. 100%. So in New Zealand, when the when the teams arrive and they go into isolation, they weren't allowed to train yes. as units. So in Australia, they were told they still have to be in two two weeks isolation, isolation but, but the groups can train. Yes. And that is the that was one of the deciding factors to move it. But what has happened though, as a as a consolation, I suppose it is, the Bledisloe Cup between New Zealand and Australia would have taken place in Australia. So those two games have now moved over to New Zealand as a compensation for for them playing in Australia, if I can use that as a as a word. But that but they is normally use the the rugby championship as the as the Bladderslow Cup. One of them. Challenge. They normally play in, in the last few seasons. There's two games. So yes. normally the one of their games. And then the final, after the championship finishes, the week or two weeks after that, the second one is played. Um, but this time around, in, because obviously the championship has now been moved to November, December, the Bladderslow Cup would have taken place in Australia. But because of the championship played there, those two games have moved to, to New Zealand. So those none of those games will be included in the championship? No, separate. separate. And then next separate. year, it would move back to Australia again. Then some other news we got this week was that two of our women were honoured in the 15th edition of the G-Sport Awards. Then further to this, um, South African rugby has actually welcomed the confirmation of the, the championship being played in Australia. Jeff? I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. I obviously want to, I want to see Raga. We've been kind of starved, and you know, especially international rugby. Um, I don't know, it's a, it's a pity this is not a, a, at the moment, a phone-in show where you could sort of get a, get a poll or get an indication of what, what people out there may think, because just from some of the forums that I've been on, there's, there's a split along a bit of a fault line where some people are saying that South Africa may go into this undercooked, although we've had players playing in the European leagues. Um, there's been some injuries to key players, um, which may be an upset. And I think you're going to have 
you're going to have teams like in Australia and and New Zealand going hammer and tong at us because of our world champion our world champion status. So that's always going to be a nice little feather in the cap to to put one over us. Um, I'm just keen to see. I know we've spoken about Locke with his injuries there. Um, now Andre Pollard done an ACL. He's out for months now, I guess. Um, I think Elton uh, Elton Yankees may be a may be a shoe in for that position. But it'll be quite interesting to see what sort of selections they're going to make in that position. Um, I know Mark is the is the backline guru on the show. Um, my opinion, Elton Yankees will be the will be the man to take the ten jersey. That's that's the way I see it. Um, but what do you do? Do you go do you go at Damien Willemser? Do you do you take a little bit of a bolter and go Kerwin Bosch? It'll be not, it'd be very if if it'll be interesting to see this. Do you think South Africa will follow suit with a with a selection of the side with Australia and New Zealand? So so what firstly before before we get there there's a big possibility and I'd say it's probably higher stakes than 50% that we won't take part in the championship. Um sorry sorry I've obviously agreed to it but all depends on what happens with our Curry Cup, our domestic season. Jock Ninomer, I think it was about three weeks ago, announced that we will not take part if <clears throat> our Springboks don't partake in at least seven or so Curry Cup games. So for now, there's still no set date for us to start in the Curry Cup, but the word out there is that it would be the first week in October. So if you go the first week in October, championship starts on the 7th of November. Um, that means we have to fly out a week, week prior to before end of, end of October. So therein already is a problem for us. Mm. But having said that, Jacques Nienaber and them have already indicated via the coach of Sale Sharks, for argument's sake, I think there's nine of our South Africans mm. playing there, of which yes. Faf and all of those are part. Seven of those players have been called up. So, but yet again, Lourdes Jager is one of them. He's injured, so he's out. Um, to touch on what Jeff asked about fly-offs, this becomes very difficult for, uh, for any coach, let alone the national coach, because South African teams haven't started yet. So we're talking Kerwin Boschers. We're talking, you can talk Marnie Libok, for argument's sake, that have joined the Sharks. We're talking Elton Yankees. Jank- None of them have played yet. Yes. But... If you look at overseas, and and we've got we've got the odd player there. Robert Depria has had an absolutely blinder since joining Sale Sharks. Um, he could be could be up and running. Um, he's a he's a he's a current Springbok, although he's only played one game. However, having having said that, um, he is the fly off out there that has played the last four or five weeks. Hence my question now: Do we go for? A more unexperienced side, the same as what Australia now has done, 16 new caps, and use players that that have played rugby in the nor- northern hemisphere or even in the southern hemisphere, um, yeah. and and exclude the the local players that haven't played. Look, I think it's different. It's different for South Africa for the sole reason that we are world champions. That in itself puts pressure on Jacques Dinova. So we've got New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia that have all got new coaches this year. So, but the setup is different. So New Zealand are planning for the next World Cup. So is Australia, so is France, so, so are we. 
The difference here is that Jacques Nienaber is under pressure to perform as a world champion. So I think that that makes it slightly slightly more different. So if Australia go with so many new caps, can we afford it? Probably I, not. I don't because think we should be we, gambling. That's what I'm saying. So coaches might might think differently. I think I think there is a time though to blood the youth incoming in. Um, but our other problem that we have is we're going straight into the championships undercooked if we're going to take part. Our very next hurdle is the British and Irish lines. So there's nothing in between. Um, and I think that makes it difficult. So Jock Ninaber currently has a championship that he needs to worry about and the British and Irish lines that are waiting for us in July. So we can't think as far ahead as New Zealand and Australia are thinking to say, right, we are planning now for four years' time. We need to focus, at, and we can't, we can't lose against the British and Irish lines. That's a given. We can't. So I think there's more pressure. So I think he will blood youngsters coming through, but I think majority of the available players that played in the World Cup should feature. You know, you know the opinion that I'm, not an opinion, wrong word to use, but this, this is the way I'm looking at it too. So you've got, a, you've got Australia and, that, and New Zealand. To them, if you're a player, you must under, there's, there's, it's also, it's also a, a mind games thing, if that's the right word to use, because let's, let's assume you guys are all players of a specific team. Let's use New Zealand as an example. Let's start there. Okay. Are we going to play? Yes. Have we got a team that's selected already to play? Yes. Can we go ahead and play? Yes. So they're ticking quite a number of boxes. Yes. Okay. Australia pretty much in the same. Yes, they've got new coaches. They've got new players coming in. But there's a there's a few certainties that you can tick a box on. Okay. So that that creates a that creates a settled environment within itself. So there we go. How many boxes have we ticked so far? Besides besides coaching staff. We haven't ticked many boxes. So are we going to play cheapest boys? I don't know. Are we going to do this cheapest boys? I don't know. Have we played enough? That remains to be seen. So there's there's uncertainty, and and you know players players don't like uncertainty. Um, True. So look, I think I think knowing the setup of the box and that they the players will know where we stand on that. Yeah. It's just a question of whether I mean I look at club rugby. We we cannot play in premier, premier division club rugby with only a month's training. It's impossible. But we're expecting the Springboks to do the same. Yes, they've worked hard in the off time with COVID. Um, some of them worked on farms. Some of them worked in their flats and so forth. But it's not the same as being at, at, the, at the grounds where you work with your mates. Um, you're all blood, sweat and tears and so forth. So you either do a small little gym session on your own or you do a skills session, but there's only four or five of you contact is a different ball game, and to make contact undercooked at that level, I mean, there's prime example is some of our Springboks that have gone abroad now. They played. I mean, here's Archias Neyman. I think he was in the field for for uh, five minutes or so when he came down and he did his ACL as well. So, and that's at that level, which is which is obviously of international standard, but it's not All Blacks against the All Blacks or the Wallabies or so forth. So we can't go into a top international tournament like that with a month's training or only one game's physical game that these guys have played on. As, as if I was the coach, I would have said to Saru, I don't think it's a good idea because we are we are actually working towards a British and Irish Lions tournament. That's what it's about. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for a very in-depth discussion and your views on all of this. To Jeff Hopper and Gareth, thank you very much for joining us. 
and giving us your insight in in the position of lock in the game of rugby. Yeah, guys, uh, Jeff, thank you. Jared, thanks a lot for your for your input. It's nice uh, sitting here as host to to listen to you guys from a coach's and a player's perspective. And I think from the listeners out there to understand more on the technical side and, and what coaches might be thinking of and players, how they go around the park. So it's always nice to have input like that. Guys from myself, to the viewers out there, thanks for tuning in once again. Looking forward to next week's show. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Cus. Look at Urbina. Thank you to the young man in the back there, pulling and pushing all the, all the relevant buttons to keep us on air. It was nice to see Gareth again for a change. It's often not nice to see you because you're on the opposite end of the of the plane spectrum, but nice to see you again, Gareth. Uh, thanks, Coach Jeff. Thanks also, also seeing you as well. It's obviously sad that the better club snatched me before you could get hold of me. Um, but thanks, guys, for having me on the, on the on the show. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. From Touchline, myself, Casper Ellis, and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week. <laughs>